computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Chom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Engaged Man McBasketball. Congratulations, my guy. I see Thank that uh, she has taken the charge and stepped in and saved all the other women in the world. She has. She was a, a good sport about it, you know. Um, really happy. Thank you, everyone, for for the well wishes in Discord, on Twitter. Uh, I'm a happy guy. And uh, we've been seeing some really nice, happy Lakers offense, too. So, you know, everything's going well right now. Wow. But happy to be back with you. I'm, I'm calling in from the cave that is my office that has just really poor <laughs> echo going on. So... Apologies up front. I'm glad we <laughs> finally addressed that um, in the same breath as your, uh, you know, lifelong commitment to your partner. Mm. You're also, you know, podcasting from the Batcave. Um, so you're making moves in life, uh, much like the Lakers. You know, they have, you know, despite that really, really poor Memphis game, uh, which we did a spaces on, turned that into a pod. You've been releasing some solo pods this week, kind of by Anthony Davis and the narrative around him so far this year and what we're getting wrong. Um, I thought that was super interesting to listen to, Tim. But, uh, you know, since since Thanksgiving, the Lakers, you know, since November 25th, 6.6 net rating uh, per NBA dot com in, in about 400 minutes. So the defense is creeping up there. Uh Overall, uh, throughout the season, they're at a minus negative up or minus 0.4 net rating as a team. But that was a lot worse uh, about a month ago. So three, about three or so good weeks of pretty good, you know, LeBron's balling out. He does not look washed. Um, so we just wanted to take some questions from the Discord, from people on Twitter. Uh, we haven't done a mailbag in a while, so we thought it was a good time to uh, get in on that, Tim. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we we missed a bit, so rather than trying yeah. to catch up on every game, this is, you know, we're, we're going to hit some of the hot topics, catch up on the, the key stuff everyone's curious about, and uh, and then, you know, just keep rolling on from here. Yeah, uh, so let's let's get into this. Um, now we wanted to take some questions about all kinds of different things. So let's start. Let's start with you know our favorite topic, the rotation. Uh, it seems to be something we talk about on a regular basis. So two weeks with pays from the Discord. Based on the data and from what you've seen, what is your ideal starting lineup at this point? Now somehow Tim, you've managed to select a lineup that I don't think's actually played together a single minute. So congratulations on that. I didn't think it was possible because if you look at the Lakers lineup data, it's, yeah. I know Lowe brought it up that they just, they don't have, like, most teams have a lot of these lineups with, like, 50, 100 minutes together, and this team does not. Um, but anyway, tell us your lineup that you put together for this question. Yeah, so to answer this one, I... I don't know if it's within the spirit of the question or not, but I decided I am not inserting Kendrick Nunn. I'm not putting in Trevor Ariza. I'm not going to put in any of the guys that have been exiled from, yeah. from the rotation. And just among who's been playing, how can we reshuffle to put together a group that makes sense? And honestly, I think there's a lot you can do with how the Lakers have been playing recently where – even though they've thrown out lineups that have traditionally had issues with spacing because of the smart X's and O's, they haven't had that problem. That aside, I think a group of Russell Westbrook, Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis would be a lot of fun and be a group that makes some sense on both ends of the court against a group that doesn't have like a scoring wing. We don't need a wing stopper with this group. With this group, we've got... Reese will throw at the point of attack. We've got Russ will put in like a chaser off ball guard role. We'll have Monk in his helper role. So he's able to rotate a bunch and that's something he's pretty good at. And then we've got Braun as a perimeter big, able to be a secondary rim defender and a rotator on the weak side. And then AD is our like mobile big or anchor big, depending on what screen coverages you want to run with him. So 
I like it. I think you get some spacing with this group. You have some shot creation with this group. And you have some guys that defensively have shown some growth throughout the season and I think are ready to, you know, have some activity, make some stuff happen. And I think overall it's it would be a fun lineup to see. What do you think? Um I mean, the, the the big thing about this, right, and I know you kind of made a second lineup as a caveat, this lineup works better against teams who don't have scoring wings because in that situation, you are either going to be putting Austin Reeves on them, who is, you know, slight of frame, you know, an excellent defender. He's but tall. He's he tall, he is, but he is not a wing defender, like stopper yet. Mm-hmm. He's a, a help guy. He is a, a good size on a, a, a two guard guy, somebody who can, you know, chase and kind of, you know, help tag the low man and, and kind of be the weak side, smart guy who can, you know, help split between two defenders and make the right read and know where to be. Mm-hmm. Um, or, LeBron is guarding these scoring wings, your Paul George's, your, you know, um, some of these Jason Tatum's, which is not ideal, right? Um, and then you have a guard have that's f- bumping up to play power forward defensively correct. on something. Right. So, yeah. Which could it, work in the right maybe against like, a, I don't know, like a Jaron Jackson, somebody who's not going to like take you down to the block. They want to shoot. I mm-hmm. don't know. I'm not saying I want that. This is why I'm saying that's the complication with this this right. construction is right. as much as I love Reeves putting him in that wing stopper role is asking a lot of him and he mm-hmm. will have help with Anthony Davis and LeBron um, rotating and helping. I'm sure that would be a big focus for them. Understanding that Austin is might not biting off a lot in those situations. But so that, that to me is like, if, if you're playing a, you know, Sacramento, sure, maybe this lineup makes a little bit more sense. You stick them on a, you know, I don't even know who, who they're starting at the three right now, but I'm not worried about it. Right. Um, so They've got Fox, Heels. They're, they're a little small. Is Halliburton starting? Uh, Halliburton starting is the two Heels coming off the bench. Oh, okay. Um, and then Barnes is usually the four. Holmes is the five. I officially have okay. no idea Davion who's the starting Mitchell three. Somewhere in there. I don't, I don't know. Um, but thankfully I don't watch a lot of Kings basketball. Right. Right. Um, so I don't know, like if, if you want, if I can interest you in a mm-hmm. Carmelo Anthony for LeBron, we have data on this lineup, Tim, in 41 possessions, Berkeley in the glass plus 14.6 of wonderful 97.6 offensive rating, but an actually pretty good 82.9, but we know that's not a huge sample. It is the 15th most used lineup per cleaning the glass for the Lakers this season. So it's something I know it's obviously Carmelo's a completely different player than LeBron at this stage, but that's about the closest iteration to this lineup that I could find through the data. So that's just not something we've seen Austin Reeves being put in the position to start once some of these guys have gotten healthy. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's it's tricky. All the lineup data is, data is super small, so it's hard to really make much of it. Uh, I'm just pulling up that group in our B-Ball Index lineup tool, which we just released this past week. That group only has like 15 minutes, or, or I think more than that now, but not a bunch of minutes. What does stand out about that group is they've got a pretty high scoring gravity between all of them, a decent you know ability to get to the rim. They've got a 90th, 91st percentile playmaking talent grade as a lineup you know, collectively and overall they've been pretty successful. So, you know, you've got a shot creator, a movement shooter, a stationary shooter, a post score and a versatile big in there. So you've got some on ball guys, you've got some off ball guys and I can see how that makes sense. So I think just naturally sliding mellow out, putting Braun in, you're not certainly losing anything on either end of the court. So I, I think you can do even better with that group. So I'd, I'd certainly love to see it. Now you bring up a great point and a weakness of this lineup is, you know, what if the other team has a scoring wing? And if that is the case, I'd go away from this. I think you would, and, and I don't know what they'll do without Bays in the rotation, but I would love to have Kent Bazemore in there and, you know, still have Russ, yeah. Braun, and AD, Kent Bazemore. And then if the other team doesn't have like a great on-ball scoring, scoring point guard, you can still play Malik Monk or you can still play Austin Reeves. But if they have like a really strong one and a strong three, I guess I'll start Avery Bradley and then you just have to really be hammering those smart concepts and doing what you can to elevate that group and overcome the spacing issues that you'll otherwise have if you just try to, you know, go out and play some pickup basketball.
basketball. But that defensively makes me feel much better than the first group I threw out. I mean, if Avery Bradley's just going to shoot like Clay Thompson, it's fine. Yeah, that's a good point. Same with Russ. <laughs> like, if these guys are hitting threes, yeah. THT, like, if they're hitting threes, nothing matters. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, THT is not. I mean, he did have that one game, but it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of seemed like the exception. And now, unfortunately, he's in the health and safety protocols, which so far hasn't affected the Lakers too much this season, knock on wood. Um, as it's kind of sweeping around the league. So hopefully it, everyone can stay safe there. Uh, let's keep this moving, though, Tim, because as always, we get get hyper-focused on the first couple questions and got to kind of race through the next couple ones. So um, let's talk as uh, trades. So we're recording this on Tuesday night. Um, here coming up, you know, in mere hours, most of the league is trade eligible uh, on December 15th. So the trade season is starting. The rumors, you're already hearing, uh, whoa, Shams, your, your Jake Fishers, your Jordan fucking Schultz, that prick, talking about... Um, He's not a reliable source, by the way. No. Like, That's one of these names is not like the others. <laughs> yeah. But, but there's stuff out there. There's content. Mm-hmm. There's names. There's chatter. There's... This and that. And okay, so I'm just gonna rat, rattle it off just you know, okay, Simmons not happening. There's it's no chance yeah. that the Lakers can put together the best package, even in a three team trade. No no chance. Uh Jeremy Grant is well, slightly less impossible, but still quite impossible. Uh to me, the money, the assets. Um, I mean, I guess I could see why Detroit would want this is what I wanna focus on, okay, is we need to find the team who would get the package back from the Lakers that makes sense for them, because yeah. you who you would want THT is basically right. Is a is a growing team in Orlando, <laughs> a Detroit, um, you know, in Oklahoma City, somebody who can give him reps, give him minutes, and utilize the fact that he's twenty one years old and has a lot of room to grow, and will give him the space to do so, right? So. <laughs> All right, let's just put that as the caveat because, again, like Ben Simmons, not happening. Uh, Miles Turner, highly unlikely. Um, yeah, I was – so regarding Turner, it, the Lakers can't afford him. They've talked to the Pacers about Miles Turner last season and similar pieces were involved from an asset standpoint. So they just that, – that, that one will not happen. I'll, I'll get that one out of the way. So, you know, Sabonis, same thing. Um, mm-hmm. All these other, you know, Justin Holiday is a little bit more <laughs> practical, but, you know, he's he not vaccinated, to vaccinated and yeah, refuses so that, to that do so. Presents a challenge. Um, I mean, it's hey, so so where are you looking, Tim? What's what's on the board for Taylor Horton Tucker from some of these teams? And I think there's other guys like what about Eric Gordon? You know, Lakers don't really need a guy like Eric Gordon, but it's that type of vet on a you know middling team to to bad team there aren't a ton of those guys these teams have gotten really good at stripping down their rosters and getting value out of these guys early instead of waiting until the the trade deadline before they have to get something mm-hmm. um that's just seems like how it's shaken out the last couple deadlines so so who's left for if if we wanted to trade THT for with Cam Reddish would THT interest them in, in Atlanta the way Cam Reddish interests us I'm not so certain yeah I Reddish is a good name to keep an eye on and you're asking the right questions about like how does this work for both sides from the Lakers perspective you're adding a guy who is a decent shooter is a very good on-ball defender is a, a wing guy that can be a bit versatile and that fits in with a lot of what they would want in terms of who the types of skill sets they're looking to acquire so he makes a lot of sense for the Lakers. On the Atlanta side, it's more, you know, we hear they're looking to move him more so than like we think they'd really be interested in like Kendrick Nunn or THT. They do have enough shooting on that roster to be able to throw in a THT and not have big roster issues like some other teams might. Um, like the Lakers right now where it's like what THT does is very much appreciated, but when you're starting Russ and AD and you've got these other players in the rotation that don't shoot, having that one extra guy that can't shoot is really challenging to make the most out of everybody. Um, so 
I would want to go talk to some Atlanta folks and see, to try to gauge interest on their end. I was left on red with my Detroit person asking about Jeremy Grant, but he is somebody <laughs> of the caliber that I think the Lakers would realistically, like they'd probably pursue that. They might actually make that trade. I do not think the Lakers would trade THT for an Eric Gordon, Eric Gordon caliber of guy. They value him too highly. So it, it really has to be the perfect situation. And given how limited the Lakers are in terms of what they have to offer and who they could, you know, who might actually be interested in what they have to offer. I, I don't know that I see anything big happening. Uh, yeah. THT is the big piece. And if you really need to consolidate, none is the contract that helps you get closer to a, you know, 16, $17 million player. Mm-hmm. But then after that point, to your point about Turner, you have to include a third player and just, that's where the numbers just don't make sense for the other team. Um, you know, I mean, the, there's a reason teams make large trades during the offseason when they're able yeah, to right. have a bunch of guys on the roster. Right well, now, if the any, Lakers can't make like a five for one or a four for one. With can they player. trade Bradley the, on his non-guaranteed deal? Because that would be the mm-hmm. guy that they could trade and that they would just, you know, cut him for no, you yeah, know, it, ne- uh, negative I, I believe so. Yeah, I, I believe it'd be like in fantasy football where like you just cut, you the find a way to get down to the roster spot. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. But, you know, the, that's the complication. So sorry, I kind of like just wrapped it all up into my own phrasing. But, you know, uh, I believe it was CPR asked the question, uh, are there any viable trade targets the team pursue? And, you know, what are the at what cost would you agree to a deal for specific targets? Yeah. So would you give up two backcourt pieces and for you know a cam reddish would you give none and you know lakers get back like a filler contract like i don't know like a lou williams i might do that i i think the position reddish plays and the skill set he brings is a clear match with what the lakers need i don't know that there are too many other guys where that would make sense so so what you're so what are we saying that the price would be for reddish uh, THT. Well, so Reddish is so red. Right, Reddish is a uh, rookie contract still, right? Okay. So I think he still has one year left after this. Um, and then he so would be looking rental. to get paid. It's not a mm-hmm. rental, but you would have restricted rights, and you'd be expected he'd probably pay him if he's <laughs> playing well, or trade him before next deadline. Um, which is probably right. the more likely case. More the more likely case, yeah. yeah. Given how we just saw the team refuse to like get deeper into the tax, like right. unless like LeBron's out of here, and all of a sudden like you know the Lakers have a lot more cap room and more available money. I don't know. I guess Russ financially would be from off an the ownership books. standpoint. Uh oh yeah yeah that, that would work too. So and dang, for fuck's sake! <laughs> <you> know, <woo>. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. Um. So I think Reddish makes sense, but that's where he's like, you know, again, like late lottery, right? Or no, he was like mid tens. I don't know where he got. He's twenty two. He's a wing. He's able no, to he shoot. Like tenth. I'm sorry, but everyone, I'm I'm so loopy today. Uh, my point being is he's probably got like what, like a four million dollar deal, less than that. I'm gonna Google it. Like six million dollar deal as it escalates. So THT is making more money than him. I would, I'm like 99.9% uh, sure. Like four, he's at like four and a half. Yeah. So then they have to include money to come back. So the Lakers probably have to send, so THT and Bradley and like they're 2031st for Cam Reddish. And I don't know. Lou I Williams? I, I, I don't think the Lakers would do that. If you're, really trying to win right now this makes you better than doing nothing mm. from my perspective and i think if you're the lakers you have to just push all the chips in you've already traded away your own pieces you've traded away most of your draft picks that you were able to a couple of years ago uh, we forget how you know it's been a couple of years they have more draft picks to trade away now I, I, do what you need to do to try to win now because in two three four years i don't know that the team will be in title contention realistically so I'd rather be I'd rather optimize right now and then stink then than be on the cusp right now and be, you know, not in the basement in a couple of years. Right. 
No, and I think it makes it makes sense for Atlanta. Uh, they get a guy who's cost controlled a little bit in THT, even for a couple years. Still young. I mean, the problem with THT is though, in eighteen months he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. He's gonna he's not going to accept probably that ten million dollar third year. He could probably get more, and. So it's it's not a crazy long. It's not like you've got a guy under like a four year deal who's 20 years old. He's going to have some say in where he goes in the very near future. But on the other end, Cam Reddish isn't probably going to get paid after Herger and Collins and Trey. Um, Capella's got a big deal and and Hunter's going to probably get a solid deal. So Mm -hmm. if the Hawks pick Hunter, Reddish is the odd man out and they'll get the most for him at this deadline and that to me is tim the best fitting player who could realistically be traded for tht but do you think that's him or who else do you think is it's not going to be simmons and turner like we were saying yeah no i i do think it's him if, if you're going to take it down a caliber of guy and and try to see players that might be available just for like i don't know one of the lakers minimum players and a first round pick you could start looking at guys who are just a maybe not in great situations or might be buyout guys potentially for the future that you want to get now or want to guarantee you're going to acquire. And that might be a guy like Garrett Temple, who is an okay shooter, plays really good defense and is not being spoon fed open threes in new Orleans. Like he would be for the Lakers Um, on our team. I think the Lakers can make more of him because they'll give him better looks for the Pelicans, he has not been a good fit and has not been a positive player. So he might be super cheap to acquire because um, he might be someone they just eventually cut. So you start to look into guys like that where it's like, all right, for me, we can make more of them than these other teams are. And it's just a matter of do we wait until maybe they're cut um, or do we move now and, and make sure we add them? So that's probably another caliber, a whole different discussion the Lakers front office will be looking into as they're trying to prepare and see what moves they might have in the future. Cause I do think Kendrick Nunn and Trevor Reza help this team in a lot of real ways. They're not, you know, all-star players, but they help slot guys better and they bring skill sets that are much needed. So I'd love to see what this team looks like with, with both of them back. And I, I think even if the team makes no moves with the offensive renaissance they've had schematically, and then adding a couple of these guys back, they can be in much, much better shape than they look like they'd be a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. Um, okay. Other crazy ideas, right? What about, okay. I'm thinking about the role that's needed and you don't want to trade a THT for a Garrett temple, honestly, because he's Correct. not Correct. a bit. Yes. That is not what I'm saying. I yeah. know. Uh, I know. Yeah. And what I'm kind of trying to lay out is that THT is, is a lateral move, a trade, a lateral trade that gets you something that fits better right now. And that's your big piece. So, you know, it's not like you have to get another young player or a guy that's under contract. You need something right now for this team that can fill like a three and D role. And Mm -hmm. like Reggie Bullock has not been shooting well in Dallas. I'm sure they're not super worried about it, but he is the kind of player to me. Like he had a good season in New York. I think he was picking up a lot of defensive responsibility and shot the ball well. Um, you know, Tibbs wouldn't play a guy as long as he's out there if he didn't play, you know, a certain level of effort, hard nosed defense. This is the kind of thing like, why, why not? Like Dallas isn't doing great right now. THT would be able to come. I know they have Jalen Brunson, but another, you know, Someone who can put shooting around Luca, take a little bit of off his plate in the creation game. Um, that makes a little bit of sense to me, but I don't think it would ever happen. You're right that Reggie hasn't been playing well. He hasn't been shooting well. Defensively, he's been pretty solid, and he is someone that could fill into like a wing stopper kind of role. That's the role he's played for the Mavericks. I don't know if it would work. I don't know if they would do it. I think they could certainly be intrigued by the talent THT has and I, we already I, traded I really, for him once have, before and it didn't work out great. So I get, I get right, the hesitation in, right. in like Reggie's 30, like none of his data right now looks good <laughs> offensively. So it's like, there's nothing to really fall back on here other than, you know, assuming his three point shot rebounds the way it normally has been for most of his career. So it's not you, a flat, no, buying low. at least yeah, you're, 
Right, like, right. It, it, it's practical, at least in the sense of, it, I guess, in my brain, as far as what this team could use. Because I think Dallas could use a secondary creator and somebody who could have the ball in their hands a lot. Wait, hang on. So are you saying THT for Bullock yeah. or none for Bullock? Ah, I, I wouldn't do that if I'm the Lakers. Okay. You, I can't, you can't buy low with THT for a guy that, like, if he rebounds, is the level Reggie Bullock was last year. I, I think you need more upside. But I don't I, – I, from the Lakers' perspective, I think they'll seek more upside. I but can that's the kind of win now you're trade. Yeah. It's either a win now or it's a disaster because you just traded for a guy who's having a really crappy year. The same way the Lakers traded for Mike Muscala the year he was having a super crappy shooting yeah. season and it continued. So if you buy low and it stays low, you just but got rid of the one asset that you really have that's valuable. But that's if you want a player to like that, you're not going to get him for THT. Like it's going to be like they don't even have enough. The THT, none, and the super, super future first. Like I don't think that gets it done for Jeremy Grant, which is like yeah, the, the tier above. Right. I'd take Reddish over Bullock. I and I I'm with you. I'm just throwing other ideas and other guys mm-hmm. that I see as yeah. as helpful to this team. It's tough. I think what we're learning is it's difficult. Like to make it work for both teams, to make it work numbers wise, to find someone who fits the specific needs of the Lakers and and to find someone on the other side that would be like, oh yeah, THT, we we really need that. Like you have a lot of criteria to, to fit into here. So it's it's challenging. All right, let's keep it moving though. We got from Sam Droid24 on the defense. Um, I did hear this recently as well. Uh, what did Frank Vogel mean by simplifying the defense? He mentioned this after the second Lakers Kings game, and then Dave McMenamin brought it up on Brian Windhorse's podcast earlier today. Um, so I did hear that on uh, Dave McMenamin on Windhorse's podcast. Um, they just kind of talked about the Lakers surging in defense right now, them improving on that end of the, th- the court. Um, I think there's a lot to do, you know, with as the game, DeAndre Jordan got benched, you know, and he was been so bad on defense. And, uh, but what, what do you think it means by simplifying the defense? Cause I don't know. I don't know exactly. Um, I feel like less aggressive is kind of the, uh, the, the kind of correlation there. Let me read Frank's quote after the second game against the Kings. Cause I think he hints at some of it. So he says our process is strong with what we're doing on in particular on the defensive end. We're looking at our personnel. We're trying a lot of different things that are a little outside of what we're used to doing. And some of it's good, some of it's bad. And we're taking the good pieces and locking it in. But at the end of the day, we have a great scheme. We've got per- personnel that can execute it. And we've simplified it and got down to the bones the last few games and just said, come on, let's stay with our base coverages, get it right and do it better. Do it harder, do it tougher, do it stronger. And so this was around the Kings game. I was just reviewing some of the Orlando film to try to see what this looked like now. And I still see the team in drop coverage. I still see the team in aggressive coverages. I still see the team leaking ball screens, icing ball screens. We've seen them send those double teams towards the end of quarters. We haven't seen them use as much zone. Um, I mean, they're doing a lot of the same things. At least they did in their most recent game. Perhaps, I mean, my interpretation of what he's trying to say or what he's going for is... We've picked a couple base coverages and we are not tailoring to the opposing team's personnel. We're just going to, you know, we're going to do drop coverage with Dwight. We're going to do switching or aggressive coverages with AD or DeAndre. And like, that's just the way it is. We're not going to force guys to remember with a new opposing team every two days. Oh, shoot. Versus Tom, I need to do this. Versus Tim, I need to do that. If it's Tom and then this screener, I need to be ready for this. If it's Tim and that screener, I have to do that. There can be a lot going on. It is their jobs. It's professional basketball. Teams do execute this at a high level. When he talks about simplifying, my what I think of first is that and just, you know, just, just making it as simple. You do this unless, you know, in very specific circumstances, we tell you going into this game, you're going to do that coverage instead. I don't know that we've quite seen that fully. I don't have the percentages of the coverages they've run. They're still certainly, they have a wide portfolio. 
Um, and I think they should. I, I mean, I still think they should be doing things and playing coverages that make sense for who they're guarding. But I, that's what I believe he's talking about. Yeah, I mean, like what you're describing there is like the chain of of rotations, right? And kind of the order of operations. When you, you know, only know how to add and subtract and don't know how to do algebra, you can't get as many complex formulas. It's mm-hmm. kind of like what it sounds like to me, right? When you, um, you know, when the Lakers were at their best on defense in the title year, you know, they would force a lot of shot clock violations because the, they're aggressive and the teams are still running their plays. They're going where they need to be go, but the shot's just not there. Right. And so they pass to another guy who had maybe uh, a, a little space and then they, the Lakers knew exactly which defender was to be rotating and when, and then the guys behind him need to step up and rotate to fill the gaps in behind. And so that's the chain, right? Every time the ball moves, you have to counter and countering. They can counter more when they're doing this complicated scheme, when everyone is on the same page and you get deeper into that chain. It's kind of, I feel like you're we're saying the same thing though. I just yeah, wanted to say no, it in a, a different way. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to articulate it. it. That, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a good way to frame it to people. It, it, you know, Knowing what you're going to do when you head into the office on a particular day is comforting and, and it's it's easier to remember what you're supposed to be doing. Well, and then knowing the next seven things you're going to do. Like, mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing on Monday at 3 p.m. every day. Yep. At Recurring work. meetings. <laughs> yes, I know. Yep. And it's the same. And it kind of is soul crushing, but it really is like, oh, no, the reason that it's everything's running smoothly is part of that consistency. And Lakers just haven't had a whole lot of that this year. But yeah, um, we're certainly seeing fewer occasions where the Lakers are running a ball screen coverage that does not require back end rotations. Yet players are rotating on the back end unnecessarily. We're, we're seeing fewer of those miscommunications, and I think this mm. is a result of them trying to simplify maybe on a game-by-game game basis, maybe on a Laker defender-by-Laker defender basis. I would I need to go watch more film and take a look at that. I've been focusing, honestly, more on the offense in recent games. Um, but those are the types of things to look out for, see if we can spot some trends moving forward. All right, bud, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with uh, the rest of the mailbag. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Switch it up to offense, Tim. This is from Brent Strong. Why do you think the team has started to implement better offense and smart counters? What changed and what are the chances that it continues? I don't have an answer for this. I'll say, speaking broadly, there are three things that would have needed to happen. They would need awareness of what they're what they are doing poorly or what they need to be doing 
they would need an understanding of why what is being pitched to them matters or why it's better. And then they need some commitment and follow through in terms of like doing what they need to be doing. So this could be sparked by someone on the outside. This could be sparked by someone on the inside. This could be player sparked. It could be agent sparked. There are so many places this could have stemmed from, but in order for us to see what we've seen, it's going to take commitment from Frank Vogel and his staff to implement it and, and execute. And especially offensively, when a lot of their issues previously were less, they're not running the right plays and more, they're not play calling as effectively as they could potentially be. That is something that like you in game have to be on top of things. So we've seen them much more consistently uh, running concepts that make sense regardless of who's on the court, regardless of it's starters, bench, bronze in there, bronze out of there. It's not a, oh, LeBron James runs the offense when he's in the game. It's just flat out all tides are rising. And it's the staff is ultimately responsible, but I I can't share, you know, where that originally may have come from and how they came to that conclusion. Um, but I, I hope mean, it continues. Yeah. I, I believe it'll continue because we've seen a pretty clear, like I've noticed a very stark change and a pretty steady climb in terms of how often they're running these concepts, which to me indicates purpose and understanding and a commitment. And assuming whoever is, is, you know, driving this doesn't just like stop paying attention, which can certainly happen, um, or is removed, which can happen. My assumption is, and, and I think our assumption should be that it will continue moving forward. I mean, it could be a really good film work. Mm -hmm. It could be uh, Vogel felt comfortable telling Fisdale, like, you got the offense. Like, I'm really going to, like leave it up to you and like enable you in a way I haven't the first month of the season. It could be Rajon Rondo yelling at people. <laughs> it could be, yeah. it, it could, could be, be Frank saying, Vistel, you are not responsible for the offense. Exactly. Someone it, else, you know, it's, yes, it's your turn. Right. It could be a number of things and we're not in the room. Um, but it also helps to have good spacing to not play bad vertical threats in the dunker spot and clog up yep. the lane for three of the best rim attacking players in the NBA. Um, so, you know, I think this, there's this, the stuff that was so frustrating about the, the DJ stuff. It was that it was like, we're not even giving ourselves a chance. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And now we're finally giving ourselves a chance and you see, you know, consistency and chemistry and improvement. So I really like can't stress how damaging that could be to a, an offense. If there's not going to be emotion, someone like DeAndre Jordan setting screens on one side of the court, running up like like Dwight does. Like at least when Dwight's in there, he's moving from one side of the court to the other and and active and getting into guys and checking and you know doing dirty shit and pissing people off yep. like. DeAndre did like nothing like that. Um, and he's catching lobs and, and the way he's playing in these days is much more acceptable, right? It's not starting. He comes in in very short bursts and it's usually with Russell Westbrook. So he's getting some, a couple lobs. He's getting some, you know what I mean? Easy buckets and, and not playing against lineups that are going to totally shred him. Mm -hmm. Um, like I'm not yep. saying he's been great, but it's just the the way the lineups are being used enables the offense to have a chance. They, it feels like they didn't even have a chance before Tim. Yes and no. I, I think with what they've been doing recently, and and this has stood out to me too, is like, have you? Ever, you'll be like watching the Lakers play somebody, and like I'll go through like a whole quarter and be like, the other team's players like aren't standing out to me. I'm not noticing anybody. It's not like oh shoot, that guy's been scoring. Just because, you know, we've been handling business and I don't feel like you don't feel that other team's presence with this Lakers team. There have been stretches over recent games where I don't feel the presence of who's on the court from a like, oh, shoot, we don't have spacing right now. And it's super, super obvious. Mm -hmm. Some of it is those rotational changes. Some of it is still like we're running out groups with with Russell Westbrook, Avery Bradley, like THT, Dwight Howard, Braun, like groups that don't have great you know, spacing in theory that due to what they're running, 
I just don't notice those issues anymore. And I'll be like, oh shit, like that group didn't work a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Now it kind of makes more sense. So while I do think the personnel piece of it is real and it has had an impact, we're seeing both sides of it working at the same time. So I want to, I want to give recognition to both because, you know, credit for, to the staff for making that rotation tweak and, but, but also credit to them for, for making those approach tweaks as well in terms of how they're having guys be, you know, out there playing. I think everything right now is clicking in a way that, that is, is pretty positive and, and, you know, goes well. All right. Next one here from real till Neil. Um, why have we not ran the Russ Braun inverted pick and roll at a higher clip? Seems like it should be money play for us with Russ attacking on a four on three on a short roll. Um, yeah, this is something Zach Lowe has been big on this year. He's been talking about how few of these that the Lakers have run and he doesn't understand why it's the obvious kind of play to do give Russ an advantage to, you know, attacking and facilitating. Um, but you know, okay. So, in this theory of this play, Tim, is Ru- like, what? Don't just go under. Like, doesn't Russ's guy just in the paint when the pick happens? Well, so why this is effective is because LeBron James is able to hit those threes. If if you if the screen if Bron's guy goes under the screen, which we've seen happen, dribble handoffs, ball screens. LeBron's going to take one dribble, set his feet, rise and fire, and he's been hitting those threes pretty well. But I feel like so you're okay with man, that. But, but the thing the is, so team. his man, are you? I, I mean, if he's hitting 100%, like, it's not, it's no good. Um, or I don't know what he's hitting on those, but like, that is, and, and that's part of what you have to consider. That's an option is just like, deep, you know, go under, be in contain with your guard and just try to take away the short roll and, and give up that three. Another option is, Go over the screen and then be in drop coverage with a guard, which makes no sense. That's not going to bode well. So they have to have some sort of aggressive coverage, either switching or showing and then trying to recover to Russ after bronze defender gets back in front. And those are the two options we've seen teams primarily use. Rarely we'll see a blitz. Rarely we'll see an under. But it's usually those two things. And I think teams more recently are leaning more towards the switch option because the 4v3 short roll thing to Russ has been kicking butt when the Lakers do use it. I agree, though. They're not using it enough. This is something every single game we should be seeing them at least test out. And if the other team's switching it, great. Now you have a great way to just immediately get switches two seconds into a possession. Um, If not, you're getting those short rolls for Russ. So I'd love to see more of it. I don't have a great reason for why we're not seeing as much. Some of it is because of switching. We've seen a couple games teams switch it and then the Lakers stop using it. But the Lakers have been better at attacking uh, in isolation when teams are trying to load up in the paint. So given that they're being better with those counters, I think that enables you to go back to this even if defenses are switching. So I, I certainly agree that this should be used more. Yeah, you got to have some spacing around that too, though. Um, just That's got true. to. You just got mm-hmm. to. Because otherwise, Anthony, even Anthony Davis's man is probably just going to be in the way because he's probably going to be on the block <laughs> or you know in the other corner and – they're yep. like, yeah, that's fine. So, uh, good question though. I will be tracking that. Uh, hopefully, we do see that. You don't want to just say like they're saving it, you know? Yeah, that's not a real thing. We've yeah. seen multiple playoffs of the Lakers not suddenly having you know these secret plans that they've been hiding from the whole world for a whole season. Like, if if it's not in the playbook, it's probably not going to suddenly be in the playbook. All right, this one's from Ground Glass. What specific areas do you think Ariza coming into the rotation will help with? What level of play would have would he have to maintain to make these improvements? Um, I mean, the level of play is his three point percentage. Um, there's a you know a, a line where if he's under it, it's it's a Bazemore situation all over again. Despite some of the positives he'll bring on defense, he's also still kind of slow. He's, you know, versatile. We talked about him guarding guards to fives, basically, um, and being able to be a stretch component on offense. But if that second part's not happening, Tim, it feels like all the basketball IQ, the, the wing stoppiness that he brings on defense is just going to put the Lakers right back where they are with the, the bad half court offense. Yep. I mean, D minus three point shot making last season. He was able to get high quality and put up 35% three-point percentage because of high shot quality, even though he was underperforming. 
he's one of those guys. This team has several players that are just, you know, they are legit three-point shooters. Ariza is more somebody who can shoot well enough or has shot well enough that high quality allows him to space enough. And that's a bit finicky. That is less trustable. And that is something that like for the stretches, it does go away during the season. It's really hard to, to make the most of this guy. Um, he is not a good finisher at the rim. He is not all that mobile. What in theory he's bringing to this team offensively is just stand in the corner, stationary shooter and, and catch and shoot or screen for somebody and, 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 you know, fan out and be a spacer defensively is where his ability to help and rotate and recover and tag roll men and sink down and help the helper, all of those things he has really good habits with. And I think should be able to execute the on-ball defense for him has been a strength in the past, but he has a very clear weakness to speed and he's probably going to be facing some speed if the Lakers are, are switching with him at all. So while he's versatile, while he's taken on really tough matchups, 97th percentile matchup difficulty last season, there's a degree of vulnerability to his defense that if he's not coming back, like looking healthy, if he does look slow, I'm not going to feel great about that. And if that's the case, I think he's more someone you slot in and, and the value he adds is being just a wing kind of body in those small ball lineups so that instead of having like three guards on the court at the same time and, and you're struggling with rebounding, you have a bigger dude that can help you from a rebounding standpoint when you do have, you know, AD and Braun out there or or just uh, Braun and Mello or something like that. I think he specifically will help with those small ball lineups. Yeah, and that ties in with our next question, Johnny SH. Uh, what specific things should we be looking at in Ariza's defensive offensive performances when he's back to evaluate how well he can contribute to the team? Um, Three-point percentage offense. And then defense, you know, some, something like deflections. I think he's somebody who can really be big and, and he long, uh, which is what this team is kind of missing on some of these, you know, rangy, lanky, long play Jason Tatum torched mm -hmm. the Lakers in part due to some bad scheme, but they didn't have anybody with, with the measurements. He brings a measurement profile that only Anthony Davis really has. And even he's just a freak of, you know, those proportions being a, a giant supersized wing basically. Yeah. 88th percentile steals last year, 89th percentile deflections uh, per 75 possessions. Uh, 81st percentile in terms of the distance he covers on defense per 75 possessions. Like he is not a corpse out there. He is moving around. He's making stuff happen. Like you talk about, he uses his measurables to his advantage. And in terms of him being on the court, impacting his team's ability to generate turnovers, that real adjusted turnover rate is also in the 89th percentile. So lots of yep. like, he's going to be active in passing lanes and he's going to move around and rotate really well. And that is the piece of it that like, if he's slow on those and, and it's just like, you know, he's not moving well, he's not able to like cut off of that ankle and move laterally and cover ground, that'll concern me. And then if the three-point shot isn't falling, like you mentioned, that'll concern me. But if yeah. he can hit open threes and rotate well, that helps. If he can do those things and is a decent on-ball, somewhat twitchy guy, the, the, he really helps. Um, and that last piece is what I trust the least but it could be there. And, and that would be a nice bonus for the Lakers. Yeah. No, watch for his deflections for sure. Watch how many times, because he's going to be the kind of guy who will get a, get a loose ball. And then Russ or AD or LeBron or on a wing and he'll see that hit ahead. And then someone's already streaking up or, you know, Anthony Davis closed out on a three and Ariza, you know, he leaks out all the way and Reza can, can do make that pass. He's, he's a really smart basketball player. He's been doing it a long time. And, um, it's just, you know, we, it would be nice to have a, you know, somewhat athletic wing to bring into the fold, but you know, this is the team we got. Uh, anyway, moving on, let's go to some of the Twitter questions, Tim. Um, it's from Ali Shakur. Uh, THT clearly has more playing time in line with his contract. Has your analysis indicated that he's improved since last year? Uh, that's funny. Um, 
<laughs> no. Offensively, I don't think so. Right? Well, the shot looked like it did and then hasn't really. <laughs> and then, yeah. Um, I don't think he's still making the same kinds of mistakes, which you don't want to see. Yeah. I. It's been a rough stretch for him. Let's maybe, it, you know, it hasn't been maybe good. it's the he's hand. Maybe at it's. The rim. No. He hasn't looked I, good I, at all. Mm-hmm. He's getting to the rim decently. The spacing impacts him just like everybody else. He's not finishing at the rim once he's there, even adjusting for his shot quality. So that to me is something that like that's that's who he's supposed to be is like, all right, he can't space the floor, but he's going to get to the rim really well and he's going to score at the rim, even though he was only doing it on one hand. That hasn't happened. Um, He's not the caliber of playmaker like he'll make some plays, but he misses passing reads constantly on film that I'm watching and it's 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 frustrating. Yeah. Um, and defensively, I've been happier with him than than his yeah. offense. He's picking his pockets at a really high rate. His on-ball defense has been pretty solid. Um, there will be times he's blown by, but when that happens, he has that length to recover pretty well. So defensively, he hasn't been super active off-ball, but on-ball, he's been a monster and he's been used as a point-of-attack defender. And that, to me... Is, is what we were kind of hoping to see was more of him on ball defensively. And we're getting to see how that's, you know, playing out and uh, what that could do for this team. But offensively, I, I haven't seen the growth. Yeah, it's I, I agree with you on defense. He I think he has gotten marginally better. Um, yeah, it's but, been more a role thing, I think, mm, defensively. But it's working. You know, he, he looks <laughs> fine on that end uh, for his age as well. Um, but. I don't know, man. I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt here because I don't think he's playing in near close to ideal lineup constructions that enable him to do the things he's good at. And I also don't think that, you know what I mean? It, it's not easy to develop as a player and also find the perfect role for how you can help the team win. Um, those don't always, you know, overlap as far as you growing as a player. Obviously we want him to grow and to be as good as he wants, as good as he can be. But based on the role that the Lakers need from him and defense and shooting, it's, it's, you know, like, just like Ariza, he's only kind of there on half of it and completely unplayable on the other half so far. Mm Mm-hmm. Looking at, uh, we have a, a tab on our lineup app at B-Ball Index for lineup context. Looking at THT last season versus this season, the spacing around him went from the 63rd percentile to the 30th percentile. So he's been, he's had less room to operate and that we are very clearly seeing impact his ability to get to the rim. And like mm-hmm. you said, like he's a young dude. Like you would love to see if he ends up in a Detroit or somewhere yep. and he just kind of has free reign, the expectations for the team are lower. So he can go be in a role that makes the most sense for who he is either now or who he's trying to develop into. That is a different situation than like, okay, right now we need a, a floor spacer that, you know, can do this on defense, even though you are probably better off with the ball in your hands. Yeah. You know, this is either you, you don't get minutes or you need to change your role to do this. And even when you do that, you're not a great skill fit to that role. So it's, it's a much tougher situation for him to blossom uh, for a lot of different reasons, whether it be role or spacing or things, things like that. Um, but yeah, I, it's, 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 I don't know. We haven't seen the jump. I want to see the jump. Yeah. No, we were we, so excited. Just we, a couple we, months were, ago. we were so excited. I mean, uh, he put together a streak of multiple games. Uh, I mean, he's cutting at least, uh, let's, yeah. let's move on. This is a super interesting question that I'm curious to see what you say, Tim, uh, yo, yo six asks as fans, how do we reconcile both Vogel making awful decisions like starting DJ for most of the season and starting lineups with zero spacing with Vogel is smart and knows more about basketball than us? Um, I mean, yes, I would it, I would say this is what we do every week on this podcast, praising or criticizing Vogel, but he knowing more about something doesn't mean you always make the right decisions. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, and I'm not. I don't know. I'm not trying to kind of backdoor my way out of this. I think. I think there is sometimes an, a confidence that turns to an arrogance. With, no. This should work. Like for this reason and this reason, and I. I like I do know a lot about basketball and I have my personal beliefs. And when a lot of people are telling you you're wrong, you want to dig in and figure out how to come out the other side. And and it's harder to take that medicine. But I don't know. How do you deal with this? There are a lot of elements to it. And and having been on different sides, either being a player on, on, on the team or on a staff for a team or on, on our end of it now where we're trying to make valid, you know, good faith criticisms and, and, and give praise based on what we're seeing. And I know being on the team side of it, there's an element of like, that's outside noise. 99% of these people don't know what they're talking about. They're not in the room. They don't see the work we put in. We, you know, they, we are here for a reason. I, as a coach, am here for a reason. I've been successful just about everywhere I've been. I've won titles. I've had all these top defenses. That's outside noise. And, and you can almost harness that. We see teams harness that as like mm. us versus them thing to, to, you know, really band together um, or just, you know, use that as motivation or, or tune that out. And, and that can be valuable and, and that can have its place in, in, you know, giving guys a little bit of an edge. But at the same time, from the perspective I have now, it's like, you know what, this staff is really, really good in a lot of ways. There are things they do that are just absolute master classes that me in the same position, I don't think I, I would have done as well. And there are so many things that they do on a day-to-day basis that we do not see. And that's why these okay. backstage Lakers episodes are like really cool to, you know, get, get some of that inside, in, You're right. in, inside, you know, info. Cause you know, I, Hold on, let me drop know. some spice. I'm sorry. I got it. This is going to be <laughs> cathartic for me right now. Okay. Right. Is there another motherfucker in the NBA who thought Deandre Jordan starting was a good idea? Cause I, mm. I don't, his I, best friends in Brooklyn didn't No, His best I friends genuinely, that got a coach fired because they wanted him to play two years ago. Uh, last year changed their minds. I'm aghast. So yeah. And, and that's the thing is like, there are things that this staff does fantastically well. That is like truly elite, truly top notch or average for an NBA staff or above average for an NBA staff. But there are also things that they do that like we can point to and say, this is wrong for X, Y, and Z reasons, have the film, have the data, have all this backup. And it took Vogel 20, 30 games to figure it out. So I think we're rightfully upset. I know every team's fans think their coach has like issues with the rotation, but like yeah. some of the stuff to me seems egregious that we've seen. And I, like, it's not just us feeling this way. It's not just the fans feeling this way. So I, I'm glad they've gotten to the right answer and they're not completely screwed in the standings by the time they made some of these changes, but there's a degree of adaptability that needs to improve for this team to win a title. Cause this, the behaviors here, the the slowness to change and adapt is more personality than it is like an isolated incident with this. And we I saw this in the title year yeah, it, with the offensive again, stuff. They yeah. would take a game and a half to make adjustments that we talked about on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, and I mean, that's not as defensible with this point, but maybe it changes when your your perspective changes when you're the coach trying to coach for the playoffs and like i don't think it was the lakers like obviously they every team wants to get the number 1 seed if possible and play as well as they can if that means being the number 1 seed but i don't think it was their active goal with it we have to you know bleed and sweat and cry every other night to beat to come back from eight down against, you know, Phoenix in this 30th game of the season. So there's just a perspective of, ah, fuck it. It's 30 games <laughs> that I don't think we understand because every game is precious to us. We want to win every game. And I think there's, I'm not saying he does it, Tim. You know what I'm saying? I think there's just, okay, we got, we're on to the next one. And I have information now. I have film. I have, you know just more knowledge and that will serve me better 
in June than this win in late November. I, is perspective have something to do with it too, maybe? It might. And I can understand if they're trying to like work through things. But there's that can also be a stubbornness. Like there's a difference between being like having, you know, being strong through adversity and like sticking to your beliefs and just like not adapting. Like a hard headedness versus uh, uh, you know, strong will. And they the, the line between them can often be pretty thin. And when it works out afterwards, you point at it and say, oh, wow, look, you know, look how committed they were to their beliefs. When it doesn't work, we say, look at this idiot that didn't adjust. <laughs> so part of it is results based. But right now, I think it's some of these things are, are clear up front and afterwards. I don't know. I'm not trying to like completely go to bat for Vogel. You know, we've talked about how frustrating it, it is. I'm just I'm trying to find the context, Tim, and rise above the. The flat out, you know, fire this guy or they're never going to win. Because mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true. That's not true. We've seen over the past like two weeks how the, the staff was able to make changes offensively with the rotation that like tangibly changed the way I look at this team's future. Mm-hmm. So I, it, it's all it's going to, you know, either they'll do it or they won't. But their best shot to win the titles is with the current coaching staff, I think. Maybe some outside help, maybe them being, you know, guided or pushed towards some specific things, ideally. But they have a lot that they're working with, you know, from an IQ standpoint and in being able to have that consistency um, with with the staff, I think is important. All right. So last one here. This is a quick one. Um, (laughs) Big Club Burner account uh, asks, who should the Lakers designate to shoot technical free throws? Because, uh, Tim, they are not good at free throws as a team. They're very bad. Yeah. I So I don't know if there's a deeper strategy to this that I'm missing. I think this might even be like a chapter in Seth Partnow's book that came out recently. Um, but I think what you would want to do is just put your best Dwight Howard? shooters. I wouldn't put your guys that you like, just... want to get going or, or, or you know. Need get... to see the ball go through the basket, Jim. Yeah, I just try to put the ball through the basket um, and looking <laughs> at the expected current free throw skill levels based on the Darko calculations that Kostya Medvedovsky put together that look at every free throw every player's ever taken and the trends and when they know, you know, this was noise versus this is real improvement. Super complicated math stuff going on. But based on that, the Lakers' best free throw shooters are Kendrick Nunn, who's not playing. Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk, Avery Bradley, Wayne Ellington. Um, so those are those are your top five. Their worst free throw shooters, according to this, are LeBron James, Trevor Reza, Austin Reeves, and Anthony Davis. Oh, and Dwight Howard, who – oh, no, I'm sorry. Hang on. I missed the second page. Okay, yeah, so Dwight's the worst free throw shooter. 54.7% is the expected free throw percentage. So him and DeAndre, no. Kent Bazemore, no. Russ, no. Braun, no. AD, no. I'd be giving it to Mello or Monk or Bradley or Ellington. Hey, you're That's not going to give it to the guy who's just made three in a row? I don't know that that matters. You sure? But, Feed the hot I, hand, I, man. I, the, I think the jury's still out on that one. What does your data say about that, huh? Different people have found different things in, in analyses. Fake news. <laughs> I'd say pick a situation, you know, like pick something and stick with it. Either you're going with the best guys or you're going to be willing to ride the hot hand, but don't just like change it up game by game. At least guys have some sort of like, you know, expectation of what will be happening. No, no consistency here for the Lakers. You got to have the mental, you got to be prepared yeah, mentally. Because exactly. those are different, Tom. You go up there. I used to, when I would shoot technical free throws, I'd step up and I'd high five my fake teammates that weren't there. Um, and be a total asshole about the whole – just put the showmanship on. Um, it's different. There's no one there. It's 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 a different situation. And they're one shot too. That's another weird thing. Like I, I think there's some strategy behind calling timeouts in between free throws because those isolated single shots tend to go in less than when you get two in a row. I think just there's mentally something involved there. Maybe they just shouldn't like piss off other teams so they never have to shoot a technical – well, I mean, I hope the other team 
just just things each. No, I, oh, no, I'd I rather they didn't because ah. then they miss and then they get in their own head and it's just like better if it's just like no, we're good. Like no harm, no foul, no free points because if nope. you if you can't. You, nope. you 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 miss don't miss one hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Also true. I'm just saying. You heard well, it no, here first, folks. It's you don't miss and start the negative chain of free throw misses, Tim. This is just common sense. You can't get on a cold streak if you don't shoot. That's that's right. I can't argue with that. You don't miss. 100%. 100% of the shots you don't take. That's true. I'm going to put we're going to put that on a shirt. Hey man, basketball's a game of not missing. I um I read something. I don't know if I told you this before. Uh someone did a study. I don't think it was like a real basketball team, but they they grabbed random people and they had them shoot free throws and they did a test group where they just had them shoot normal free throws. And then another group where before their free throws, they told them that like everybody they know is going to die someday in that group of people shot like statistically significantly like better on their free throws. Oh, just like raw nihilism. I think so. It's like, wow. I'm not, I don't feel the pressure because nothing matters. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what Steve Nash, so like, Ray Allen, <laughs> Steph Curry, We've seen guys like talk. You see guys like sometimes talk to themselves, and we've heard yeah. dudes like talking to themselves. Yeah, we need like a designated like Rajon Rondo just shouts out like we're all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is an existential way to end the podcast. I, we're just trying to see. That, that sounds very incredibly scientific. By the way, I'm gonna find. I'm gonna tweet the. Link out. <laughs> I'm not making no- this up. There's this no is probably like a sample of like 20 people yeah. in like a middle school gym somewhere eight years ago is probably what happened. And they were all children who didn't understand the concept of dying yet. <laughs> you know, what if it just shattered every one of their worlds through this study? <laughs> all right, we're rambling oh, now, man. but hopefully it was entertaining for you guys. Um, go, you know, give us a five-star review. Take a picture of it. You can get in the Discord. We took most of our questions here from Discord today. Um, and there's always a great conversation with Tim and a lot of other smart Lakers fans. It's a safe place. You know, now the Lakers are starting to win. We can take our, our, you know, our exceptionalism onto the timeline. But when things are bad, come into the Discord and you'll be safe. But DM us a picture of that five-star review and we'll, we'll get you the link to get in. But uh, Tim, anything else before we go you got? That's, that's all, folks. I got nothing else. Go watch Space Jam again. The original Every or time the I new fly, one? I, I, uh, I both. I don't know. Every time I've flown, I've, I've traveled a lot recently, and it seems like everybody in the seats in front of me, every single flight is watching Space Jam 2. So I like kind of secondhand here and there catch LeBron James being a bad parent in the beginning and then being a good parent by the end. One day I aspire to make a film that people will only watch when they feel like they're being held captive <laughs> and their entertainment <laughs> options are limited. Oh, I want the, the honor. <laughs> I mean, you're enshrined forever. I um, somebody was watching Titanic, uh, during a flight during turbulence, and it was just a really bad time for me. I wasn't even it wasn't even me watching it; it was somebody else watching it. But I was like, I can't even have this in my peripherals right now. But that's Tim. That's a boat. I I know I know they're a little bit different, but. <laughs> <laughs> But but there was the same, you know, there's a theme there. Is uh, we're going down. Romantically. Don't let go, Jack. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, until next time, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>